Welcome to the Unite DFW podcast. Conversations with people like you who are contributing to the greater good. Their stories will inform and equip you to join in because if we all do our part, everyone will flourish. Hello, everyone. This is Rebecca Walls, Executive Director of Unite. And I have my friend Anna Blake with us today. How are you today, Anna? Good morning. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I am wonderful too. I'm glad to be sharing your story with everybody. <laughs> well, it's quite some story. I hope that people find it interesting and and um can get something out of it. So yeah, I know happy to be will. here. It's still interesting to me after I've heard heard it a lot. Um <laughs> and I think probably the most interesting parts are later in your life, but I'd love for you to back up a little bit and kind of before you got started on the path that you're on now, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Background. Well, um, I come from a small town. I was raised in a small town. Um, in West Texas and or west of here, Central Texas, and I, my father was a minister. Uh, my grandmother missionary. My grandfather deacon. So come from a very strong spiritual um, and and faith background. And um, I just grew up in the church. And the church, I don't know if you remember the church in the eighties and the nineties, was quite different from the church now. Um, but, you know, just lots and lots of community that's tight knit. Mm -hmm. um, everyone knows probably a little bit too much about each other. Um, but family, you know, it was really a, a family atmosphere. And, um, and that's kind of what has been the foundation for what has led me to, to do the work that I do and in the way that I do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my work and my life is one and the same. I believe that I've been missionally called to do the work that I'm doing. So just a very strong faith background, lots and lots of siblings and, and community leaders mm -hmm. of faith. Neat. Yeah, I think probably some of the difference you're seeing in the church is big, t big city versus small town. <laughs> yes. But I'm, yeah. I'm sure it has changed everywhere to some degree. So I think all Christians are called to be on mission. And we're really kind of probably speaking to a variety of people from all different kinds of backgrounds. So I think all of you are called to be on mission. But Anna, back to your story Tell us whatever you want to kind of about how you got to the place you're at now. Well, um, so my family's background is definitely in like a lot of community, right? It's like when you're tight knit and there's someone in the community struggling, usually the community jumps in, they organize resources and wrap around the family. That's 50 years ago. That's how most communities operated very much so uh, the community took care of its own and and my family was was no different uh, they probably took it up a notch mm -hmm. um, I have six foster or we call them engrafted brothers and sisters mm -hmm. but um, that came out of the foster care system and then quite a few more but six that um, really really stuck to the family and we stuck to them 
Um, but that happened, you know, my sophomore year in college. Mm. So when I would go home um, for summer and for holidays, I'd have to stay in a hotel <laughs> because my house was full um, and my parents were, you know, they were a little occupied those days. Mm-hmm. And so I would go to church and I used to lead worship and do those things. And there was just all these new faces. I, our, our small community church went from, you know, just our kids that, that grew up in, in Brownwood to another additional 60 kids or so within six months, just in that small church of about 75 families. And so the landscape changed overnight. And so this is while I was trying to decide, I'm in college, trying to decide what I'm going to do with, with my, my career life. And so um, I just fell in love with the mission of caring for vulnerable children. I saw them um, in the prime of their adolescence with so many opportunities and different trajectories, just needing um, the right support around them to choose um, a pathway that would open more doors for them later on and give them a pathway of hope. And so that led me to, to get a psychology undergrad degree. My first job out of college, I was working to go from church to church and tell them about this ministry and mission of what, you know, my little small town church was able to do and what we're all able to do to change the, the course of a a young person's life. If we really get involved in one way or another, Mm -hmm. um, and so I've just been on that path of just telling the story of the kids that are unseen and um, just not really highly visible to the average person in society, you know, and sometimes they are around Christmas and, you know, we, we get a little bit more um, thoughtful around the holidays and those types of places, but these kids need service and support and family 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. So my last position um, was one of the largest roles that I've had so far in my career. I was uh, the director for the faith-based and community engagement division there at the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services. And so I had a, a team of about 64 staff there um, statewide serving all 254 counties across this great state of Texas. And we had that same goal in mind. How do we get the community um, knowledgeable and informed about this particular issue? And then how do we get them um, involved in um, caring for either the staff that are working with these youth or the youth directly? Uh, but you know, these, these, these children cannot be raised and cared for by the state. You know, caseworkers are not meant to be parents. Um, much like teachers and all, all of the others that support our youth in society today. So I've just been on that same mission in, in different capacities for almost 20 years now. Wow. It's been quite, quite a rewarding journey. Well, you don't look like you have been anywhere for 20 years. I know everyone can't see you right now, but <laughs> right, right. I, know, I know you're a little older than you look, but um, I'm glad you've stayed on that course because I know that's a hard one at times, but I want to back up because um, just to clarify something you said before we move on a little bit, you mentioned your church family in Brownwood grew by 60 kids. I want to clarify, you said did you say 75 families in the church 
were fostering about 60 kids at one point? Yes. So it, so of course with foster care, not all kids that are placed stay long-term. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it, you know, they're reunified with family members and sometimes they, um, find adoptive placements, but over the course of six months, we would have, you know, my parents had six by themselves. So Mm -hmm. they, they, they did their lion's share of the, the, um, love and support there, but yes. Um, then there was different standards. You could have group homes. And, and so, yes, our, our small church, we grew so quickly as far as the families that were willing to adopt, Mm -hmm. um, that the child placing agency came and officed out of the church in Brownwood. Um, and so those, when we tallied and we just recently did a tally that in those early months, we were trying to figure out the placements and what was appropriate. And so we had a rotation of youth coming into the church, but the goal was not necessarily to keep them in that family. Mm-hmm. Um, that's of course, that was the most desired outcome, but to keep them in community where they're at the same school, mm-hmm. where they're going to the same church, they know the same people um, to keep some familiarity around, around the youth, even if the, um, they have to go to a different home. I'll give you a good example. Um, and this was, gosh, um, this had to be at this point, probably around 2000 and, three so just a little bit before like major issues were um hitting kind of mainstream media we had a a young boy um who was having some challenges had some history of sexual abuse and uh, we were trying the placement that he was in was older and they were a little bit less um up to speed with what young people were challenged with then and how to really respond to that and so he was quite connected to the foster mom. However, the foster mom could not necessarily meet the needs of what was happening as a result of the sexual trauma that he had faced. And so we were able to find another family within the same church Mm. that was a better fit for him in those conversations and feelings and emotions and then things that were going on with his, his body physically to to place him there but he still has his relationship with his first placement um, mm-hmm. with his first foster mom and they saw each other every Sunday and on Wednesday and she mm-hmm. would do respite and so that's that environment kept kids in very familial familial um, and familiar relationships with the people that they had been bonding with up until they graduated from um, from high school yeah and and so even if they moved a home to a different home, they didn't have to move to a different community. Does that okay, make sense? Great. Yeah, it does. Anna, like you said, a lot of these children and families aren't seen, I guess, by the general public. We really, for a lot of us, the only picture of this situation, a foster care situation, is what we see on TV and movies. Um, and we hear it as, you know, they're in the system and a lot of times it's portrayed as children kind of going from one home to the next, to the next. And, um, a lot of times the foster care families on TV and in movies, they're, they're not kind to the children or, you know, there's just some kind of abuse going on. A lot of times what you're describing is a very different kind of 
family situation, like you're saying, the goal isn't necessarily to keep them in a, a foster family for the rest of their childhood. Um, ideally, they'd be reunified even with their family. But what you're describing, I think, is what we want for our kids. The average person wants for their kids to have um, a stable family where the parents are, you know, able to talk to the kids about what's going on and how they're feeling and um, able to help them make good choices in life. Is that kind of what, would you say that's what you want for these kids? You, you started out by kind of talking about that vision in the beginning. What would you say your vision is for children in, in foster care? I would say for those that it, when it's possible, kids belong with their families. Mm -hmm. What I've noticed is, especially with my brothers, is that as much love and care and support um, that my parents were able to give them, the moment they turned 18, one of their very first, their initial request was to go back to Waco or to go back to Houston and to really to discover their families for their own in their own way with their mm -hmm. own eyes mm -hmm. so because they just received anecdotes right of why they were in care or why they weren't with their biological family mm -hmm. and so the kids go back home mm -hmm. and they go back home seeking and longing and wanting um, it was really interesting my father was able to take Melvin and this is a, 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 a really broadly known story that that is told publicly take him back to Waco where his family came, was living. And they stayed for a few days. And he said, I will stay here as long with you, as long as you need to explore and to find what, what you need to find with your biological family. And mm -hmm. if you want to move back, I will help you move. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the reality is whether they're adopted or in foster care, kids, have a longing for their biological mothers and fathers. And we can't ever escape that fact that we too, we all, we all share that connection. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a God-given connection. And so when, when it's possible, we fight hard to, to make sure that we work on the family side to get them healthy. And we, you know, stabilize the child and, and encourage them and, and watch them grow and, and nurture them until the reunification is possible. So that, that's the primary, that's goal number one. That's 100% the focus, if it's possible. Yeah. But we all know it's not always possible. Mm -hmm. And so if kids are in care and there's nobody in their biological family, there's no relative, there's no aunt or uncle or coach, um, then we've got to pursue permanency. We've got to pursue a forever family. Mm. And that's where it gets really challenging because if you come in care at three, just like your likelihood of possibly finding a permanent family, it's higher than a kid that's 16. Mm. And at 16, they're like, okay, I only got a couple of years. I don't want to be adopted at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and that's understandable, but adoption or permanency through adoption our long-term placement they call PMC, Permanency Manager Conservatorship. It's a technical term for the department. Um, but finding that place where the foster parent will guide them into college or guide mm -hmm. them into the military or, you know, they'll have a place to come home for holidays mm -hmm. uh, as a, an adult. So that's goal number two. 
And then the the last goal, if, if, if a kid has to stay in care and they don't have a permanency plan through adoption, then it's really up to the system to find the most mission-driven parents that are called to foster and care for, for young people and children and babies in a way that they would care for their very own, mm. not for financial incentive and all the other mm. things that we see portrayed. And even the things that our foster youth feel like the motivation of foster parents are, because there could be some discrepancy and, and perception there. But there is there is a scale of good, great foster parents to maybe not the best role for you. Mm. And it's up to the, the agencies and the system to do its very best to find the very, the most mission focused and mission minded families and adults and, and couples and individuals um, to care for these kids. Mm-hmm. And so there definitely is priority. And the priority, again, is to make sure that if it's viable and it's a possibility and it's safe, that those kids go home okay. into healthy families. That's awesome. That's, that's good to know. I don't think probably, like I said, the average person understands the, the different options that even children have or the system has in terms of how they care for them during those first 18 years. Uh, you know, you talked about foster and adoption. And I think that's what a lot of people think of in terms of their options for getting involved and helping the most vulnerable children and families in our community. In a minute, we'll get around to some things that all of us can do to help. But before we do that, you have a pretty strong opinion based on your various um, perspectives on the system and on the community, you have a, a pretty strong opinion about the role of government and the role of the church in caring for vulnerable children and families. I'd love for you to explain that a little bit, what you see as the role of both. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that the the agency that I worked for, the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, has a challenging job. Um, the, the, the primary role for the agency is to their mission is to improve the lives of those they serve but they have a function that no other organization or no other entity in society has and that is to act as the investigator and once the judge approves the removal entity if a child is abused abandoned or neglected Hmm. there's no other entity that has that authority to go in and to do the proper investigation and to actually remove a child. And we have set up our government and system to give them authority because I can't say, oh, you know, Rebecca, you're not being a good mother today. I'm going to come in and take that baby. Mm-hmm. Like I just, we just don't, our system and process is not made up that way. And so for that reason alone, it's, it's vital that we have 
child protective services. Mm -hmm. We need that. Then it, it can't really be law enforcement. Law enforcement can't play that role because we don't need someone going in with a badge and a uniform and a gun. And you know that we, we this is we're we're dealing with children mm -hmm. um, and young adults. And sometimes law enforcement does have to accompany, mm -hmm. but the the role really is that it's only temporary. We're doing an investigation, but we're unlike other entities, we're doing it with a lens that this is a temporary situation for to to provide some mechanisms and put them in place for a long term goal of reunification. Okay, that's the mind of this regulatory entity or institution and that's necessary because we we as uh, our our society needs those things to be put in place and we have our judges that come in and that we elect that will review every case and say okay this is when you what you need to do with this particular case and give those caseworkers that are sometimes 23 25 you know with little you know just beginning their life journeys and little experience gives them directive mm -hmm. so that's a lot of things that a lot of times people don't realize that it's not just that caseworker with that clipboard on a power trip making that decision mm -hmm. they've got to go to the court and explain to the judge the situation and the mm -hmm. judge then gives them the authority to remove or to place or access as the decision maker okay so there's checks and balances within our system of government to ensure that the we all are serving the best interest of the child. Wow. So that's the state. The state has conservatorship. So you know when you sign your birth certificate, you've got the right to go get your baby a passport and enroll them in school and get them all of those things. Well, whenever you take placement or you take custody of a child, the state is the only one that can override your parental authority and be able to do those things on behalf of your children temporarily. Mm. And that's through the judge. So that that's called conservatorship. The state has conservatorship over children in care. What I believe is that the, the church has stewardship. God has called the church to care for the vulnerable. He's called the church to look after the orphan. Mm. And so the church's role hasn't changed over the the history of how we've cared for children in the in this country like before there was a larger regulatory system in place the church is the one that established the orphan trains the church is the one that established the orphan the orphanages the mm -hmm. orphanages and the um, children's homes the church was the one that established how um, communal living for these youth would be so that they could raise them in healthy and clean and nurturing environments. The mm -hmm. church has always played that role. Now we've just got this balance as our society gets more sophisticated that some of the legal responsibility of conservatorship is on the government side, but the church still has that responsibility missionally mm -hmm. to go and care and to wrap around and to support these children. And the, and the government, unlike in other states, Texas, I was the director of the faith-based and community engagement division, right? So mm -hmm. we have an open door as believers and as the church in the state to get involved and to support and come alongside the agency and do this work. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas in other states, they can knock on the door, but they they're they're not going to get their um they're not going to get an answer, mm. you know. Whereas we have an open door, so I'm super proud of of the state of Texas in that regard to know that they can't do it alone and that the church has its place. Well, and your department name, faith based, came first. I always found that interesting. Yes. Yes. That was probably a really purposeful decision. I imagine, like you said, you know, the faith community in Texas is very strong. Um, A lot of us do feel called to care for the vulnerable. Um, And so I'm sure it was strategic to kind of give us that, that place of honor, just in the name of your department. I love that. Um, That sounds like an amazing life's work is to, you know, help the government do its part to protect children and then work alongside the faith community to um, hopefully put them in the care of faith-motivated families. So you mentioned this was your last position. I I know you aren't there anymore. Um, Tell us why you felt like you could do more from the outside. Well, I think that the the role of the government, again, it's very, it's protective and it's regulatory. Mm-hmm. And the language, um, the the agency and state language um, is, is standardized and the church and the faith and community language is standardized. And it, and you need someone that has the ability to interpret hmm. and to act and serve as a liaison. But when you're in an entity as um, structured and top down and really has a lot of different types of community um, members and orgs that they, you have to, to liaison and you have to work with, you've got to keep a very, very broad um, communication and I believe that if I, as an, you know, working with the agency and working now outside of the agency again, I can say everything that I believed when I was with them, but I can say it with more vigor and I can go mm-hmm. deeper with more freedom. To, you can tell it like it really is. Yes. Yes. I'm trying to <laughs> find the right words to say, but yes, to tell it like it is. And, you know, with the agency, you've got, I mean, it's such a great platform. But you also have to consider that you've got this big, great state and you, you know, we've got 32 million people here in Texas. Wow. I, can't, I can't remember how many it is. I might be misquoting, but we've got quite a bit, right? Texas yeah. is a big state. And, and we've got all of those constituents to serve, but I believe I'm called to the church. I believe mm-hmm. I'm called missionally to speak to what the church historically and currently is doing in support of family preservation, in support of, you know, individuals uh, that are looking to adopt and needing, you know, the proper pathways and guide to to get them successfully through the process, to to talk to influencers and organizations like Unite and say, gosh, there's more for us to do. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's, let's lean in and let's do it together. Mm. And, and that's a specific role in, my role with 64 staff, you get you get to managing and being a servant leader with your 
your folks. And my, my real passion is the messaging behind all of this mm-hmm. and engaging um, on the grassroots level. So I found it was very two different ways to, to provide impact and um, influence the space. But this one allowed for me to go further faster mm. with more people. Right. And so I'm just, I was, I'm grateful for that experience because man, now I understand the challenges yeah. that the agency really faces with making the hard decisions, right? Because just because you're struggling with, you know, alcohol and chemical abuse, drug abuse today doesn't mean that in five years, that same mom will not be freed and, and be living a, a vibrant and flourishing mm-hmm. life and can then reunify. Wow. We need a system that gives that mom an opportunity after, you know, once we've got the child in a safe place and who's going to wrap around that, that mom. Yeah. It's the same person, the same community. Uh, I help believers and community members that, that love to serve and help others that are wrapping around their mom. If, if, you know, Rebecca, if you and your clan are taking care of mom, then I'm over here taking care of baby on the other mm-hmm. side of town. Mm-hmm. And then after everybody gets settled and we can reunify, mm-hmm. we've done our, we've done our job, mm-hmm. but we need the church on both sides. Okay. We need them on both sides of the equation, yeah. caring for, for those that, that need some help getting to the place to where they can be the best parents that they can be. And then we need those that are going to take those children and say, Hey, we got you until mm-hmm. mom and daddy get, be- get healthier until yeah. they get better. You've got your, we're here. We're not here to keep you and hoard you and, but we're here to love on you until, until mom and dad get better. Wow. So I, I hear you saying the role of the church is on both sides, both in caring for a parent to help them get ready to receive their child back in the home and then caring for the child. But I think there's also a big role in prevention to where the child never has to go through that very traumatic experience of being removed from their, their birth family. Um, do you want to speak a little bit to that kind of the, how prevention works in all this? Absolutely. So this is where I get really excited about the role of community and the role of church, um, of the church. And sometimes they I use the terms interchangeably, but they are very different, um, in, in large degree, but this is the, the the thing that the church is probably most suited for okay is family preservation mm. every single sunday when when you know ministry leaders and pastors and and folks are you know curating like what is our sunday experience going to be to help us to, to be high level and high energy to you know to get us through the week with some um faith-filled encouragement you know you're curating it an atmosphere, not just for mom and dad, you're curating it for children. You're already thinking about what's best for the family. How can the family be spiritually guided, you know, through education, through community, through relationship. And the church has always thought that way, Mm. right? Whether it be from potlucks to, you know, trunk or treats to the church has always thought about the family. Mm -hmm. Um, and always been, you know, maybe just not identified in this way. One of the key ways for families to find community and for families to find connection 
And therefore, if a family has community and connection, you're doing family preservation. So if the church really does stay excited about its role to serve family through the spiritual pathways of of Christian education and guidance, then you have this opportunity, continued opportunity, right? You've always done it. Mm -hmm to create and curate an atmosphere for people not to feel isolated. When people feel isolated and alone and rejected, that no one cares, they go to the bottle, they go to drugs, they go to, you know, whatever these hiccups and hangups to, to, to cure those things that then create a downward spiral that ultimately leads to neglect, primarily neglect, but abuse of children. Mm-hmm. So the church just needs to really get excited about what the church has always gotten excited about. Mm-hmm. And they'll be doing family preservation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, well, it does to me. Um, I hope it does to everybody who's listening because I'm as excited as you are about this, this idea of um, really the church creating a gathering space uh, creating systems for families to be in relationship with one another, parents to be in relationship with one another, parents to be in relationship with church leadership, things like that. And I think you're talking about kind of just the everyday emotional support that we give each other. But I think there's also an opportunity for us to um, be aware of kind of some warning signs to watch for uh, whether again, that's, you know, my friend in my community group, or if I'm a staff person, maybe a children's ministry staff, you know, some things to look for with the children to look for those warning signs. And then also understanding how to ask good questions and create a space for people to be vulnerable. Cause it's not as simple as just showing up to a yeah. thing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And I think that, you know, and I'm, I'm in my sense of nostalgia, I'm thinking pre-social media, right? Okay. So like that's the, the the transition of where people are actually where are they most influence, right? You used to be where church and these other few places were the places where people got most of their information, they got most of their community support, but now you've got all these different abilities to to be influenced and to, to make connection. But there's something about just like there's something about brick and mortar. There's something about being in person, being in the same room, um, coming together um, and and putting your eyes on someone. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I think the church is still doing the curating part of it. But what they're missing is how do we call people to being present mm. and acknowledging one another in a way that then Rebecca she's usually Johnny on the spot she sits in pew number four Mm -hmm. there in the middle you know how how do we set up a a culture where if Rebecca's not there for a couple of Sundays we're we're on top of it wow and we're we're going to make sure that you know we we go out and find her (laughs) and we tell her that we miss her and that Uh that we we can't wait to see her again and that if she can't come to us we'll come to her Uh um that kind of pursuit um and it's intentional Uh and and even if you see someone struggling I i was working with the church the other day and they were 
they wanted to focus on some mental health because we've got this major uh, crisis that that's happening in our society. And they were saying, okay, we we know we the congregation needs it, but if they're going to get the support from the staff mm-hmm. and the pastoral leadership. Let's first ask ourselves, what does the staff and the pastoral leadership need in as it relates to mental health support? Okay. And I thought that was a better place to start before you ask your leaders, man, y'all, y'all go out and keep serving, keep serving until your well runs dry. Yeah. Like we've seen with a lot of our other front lines with our nurses and our teachers and high turnover with these jobs are getting harder harder to do mm-hmm. um they're asking themselves how do we secure our, our 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 leaders first before we really implement strategies to to help the congregation i'm like man that's brilliant it doesn't seem like it's rocket science but man y'all are you know you're not putting the cart before the horse okay. and they came up with some really cool ideas like they gave the staff restoration days um so a couple of additional days to to regroup and made sure that required them to take their uh, leave before it expired and, and it wasn't able to roll the, the leave that wasn't able to roll over. Mm-hmm. Um, so those strategies to make sure that they acknowledge the fact that you can't help others until you first secure yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I thought that that was brilliant. I'm like, I'm going to tell that to every person <laughs> I know because you do, you lose a lot of good people because they get tired. Yeah. And um, we don't, we don't want the people that really are called to do the work that are mission minded, that have the level of compassion and empathy to see people that are hurting, to acknowledge them. Um, we, we need them in place. Mm-hmm. It's not, not everybody, everybody's capable of compassion, but there are some people that are moved with compassion, like the word says, the crisis moved with compassion. Mm. And I think that those folks are naturally called to the work and we want to keep them close, close to the people that are the most vulnerable. Mm. Uh, but, but support, it looks like asking those questions. It looks like your well-being, you know, it's back to that old African saying that I am my brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. It's a part, it's a part of who we are if we believe that you know we are we're placed here in the care of our parents to care for others right mm-hmm. like we're placed in care to care from the very beginning from our from the day we take breath in life we got a room full of people that help to in most cases that help to make that possible mm-hmm. we're not we, we came in the pathway alone but we didn't enter alone mm-hmm. and so people shouldn't walk through life alone that's not how you came in and god willing that's not how you'll go out and so i'm super passionate about Mm -hmm. making sure that people are seen wow there's so much to unpack here i i wish you and i had hours this morning to to talk through some of these things because there's so much i really want the average person to know about the things that you're touching on and i i hope this will kind of pique interest and we can do this again, because we don't have hours to stand with them this time. But one thing I do want to go back to, there's, there's several, but one of them is the idea of emotional support training is what we're calling it. Because Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people say that everybody has what they need to provide emotional support. As Christians, we have the kind of the calling to that responsibility. 
we have a desire to be in community and we can pray for people and that's all we need. But I have been around enough people that know the mental health space to know you can do more damage than good. You can do harm to people's mental health if you don't know what you're saying and you're giving people bad advice. My hope is that we can train the average person to provide that level of support to their friends, family members, neighbors, people they go to church with, people they go to school with, but they, they know what questions to ask. They know what signs to look for. They know how to create a space, a safe space for people to be vulnerable. And then they know how to find that next level of help when they get out of their depth. They kind of know when they're out of their depth is another piece of training. And then they know how to get people to the help. Um, I know you agree with that, but is there anything else you would want to say about that concept? No, I think that you, you, you covered it really well. I just, I, I want everyone, you know, I think for me, when it comes to the average person, just walking around that sees a lot of hurt, sees a lot of the pain that people are going through, you see it. Mm-hmm but you don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a place for you to at least get some basic skills, basic, basic, you know, concepts Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I can do this without doing harm or I can provide this quick information or word of encouragement Uh um, to, to overcome some of that hesitation that, Oh, you know, I don't want this person to react um, and feel like I'm, you know, all of the things that would keep someone that could see that something should be done mm-hmm. um, from from doing something yeah. or just saying something to someone that needs encouragement. I think that this is um, a training for them as well. Okay, good. So we do have, you know, a 90 minute version of an overview kind of that answers some of those questions and really helps people see where they want to go a little bit deeper. Cause there's a lot of deeper options. There's a lot of eight hour trainings, you know, 30, 65 hours. Um, so there's, there's a lot of options to get more training, but what we wanted to develop was kind of a brief overview. So people have some immediate tools that everybody can get without having to invest a lot of time up front because they may not know even that they need eight hours of training or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm, I really want everybody in DFW, every adult, especially, but even young adults to have um, those tools again, to kind of create that safe space. But you talked about the people that are exposed to families that may be struggling Um And I'll just say people that are struggling, they don't have to have small children for us to kind of provide emotional support. But you talked about the people who are present and, you know, visible. Um, And I think you referred to the front lines and you, we've talked about teachers, you mentioned nurses. So there's healthcare. Uh, Earlier, you mentioned law enforcement. Those are the three biggest mandatory reporters to CPS. Is that right? That is correct. Mm-hmm. I don't know about every, everywhere else. You know, I would say you talked about the pastors and church members having that sight on families that may need help. Um, I can't remember if you've mentioned nonprofits, but that's another big one 
where especially the most vulnerable families that are already vulnerable to some degree are probably um, interacting with nonprofit staff. And you talked about the fact that they need to feel supported so that they can do their job and stay in their job. And I'm really excited about that opportunity. Again, it's just one of those ways that the average person can contribute to the solution of this this problem um, is supporting our frontline workers. Um, I think the public schools have the most sight probably and the most frequent visibility into families with school-aged children, but I'm excited about us supporting all of them. CPS workers are another frontline. You know, at that point, if you're engaged with CPS, you've already kind of slid over into a category that we're trying to protect people from. But I would think that would be such a hard job. The investigations, the removals, finding safe placements. And COVID has really created even more strain on all those front lines. But I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the impact COVID has had on the CPS, the Child Protective Service, and system specifically. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, absolutely. I mean, sometimes when we say COVID, like it's like, uh, you know, that have you ever watched the uh, Lion King where he says Mufasa and he shakes and says, ooh, you know, that's <laughs> how I feel about COVID. Um, but, but absolutely. I mean, it, it was unprecedented for all of us, right? So it's, uh, but, but the nature of case management in particular for, and especially for child protective services, it's very mobile. It's very touch point. It's face-to-face. It's, we need to see the child. We need to speak to the child. We need to speak to the family. So with all of the things going on with, you know, social distancing and wearing masks and, you know, how do you track, you know, if you do, if you're COVID positive, you know, how do we notify you know all the tracing that was going on so it was it was like how is it that you do this job that requires that you put your eyes on children to ensure their safety but you can't safely do that mm-hmm. you know based on on everything uh, all the product protocol that was in place and Especially so it was challenging yeah yes it was it was challenging and people had to decide between their personal health and well-being mm-hmm. and fulfilling their their job and the task of of protecting children Mm -hmm. and and that there's there's no easy there's it's not cut and dry for anyone it was every case every every individual every um and my team didn't necessarily do a lot of um they weren't required they were it wasn't mandatory um court ordered mandatory for them to do a lot of face-to-face at the time but caseworkers had to Mm. They were essential workers, like, okay. like others. Um, and so they really had, we, we, we lost a lot of really great caseworkers during that time. Mm. Um, but we also retained some brave and dedicated individuals um, that, that really just went above and beyond. Mm. But do they know that we perceive them as brave and dedicated? Who is celebrating them? For the work that they're doing because the media doesn't mm-hmm. the media every opportunity every you know mistake that they make 
is an opportunity for the media to to put it on the front page yeah. of the newspaper. And so it's a thankless work. Mm. It really is a thankless work. Um, and so for that, I'm just really passionate about ensuring that they know, these caseworkers know that at some, at some point they're putting themselves possibly and their families at risk um, or perceived risk, however you want, whatever your level of politics or belief systems are, it still was such a heightened concern that people were for- forced every day to make some hard choices. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure there's still people out there that feels like, or feel like that's what they're doing with COVID is, you know, face-to-face interactions are still scary for some, but in large part, we've, <clears throat> we've for now at least gotten past that stage of it. Um, I, I watched kind of the the switch in every form of group care, whether it was disaster relief or um, homelessness, and then certainly kind of that temporary care of the children who've been removed. I watched that become more difficult for every organization that does that kind of thing. And so I know that also had just a tremendous impact on the child protective system. Um, People can probably use their imagination to imagine what that was like, but if there's anything you want to say to help shine a light on um, that or say anything about the way it stands now, feel free to expound on that a little bit. Yeah, I think that, you know, just... I think that we have to realize that in whether it's the pandemic or whether it's, you know, any other issue, this job is hard. Yeah. It is a hard job. You've got to be, you got to put biases to the side. You've got to put all these things to the side and really um, have the level of discernment and, and, and sometimes experience really matters. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and you have to perceive that people have the ability to change mm. and that that idea that things can get better. You have to believe that for things to be to be better. Mm. Um, so like cynics and all those things, like, you know, what I'm saying like it, it's a hard job is what yeah. I'm saying. So um, I just I believe that even this, the current state of events is still they're met with so many challenges. Mm. Yeah. So you talked about making sure that the workers in this field know that we see them as valuable and as heroes. And you were a part of instituting um, the first ever that I know of uh, annual national hospitality week for workers in this space. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. So these kinds of initiatives have been happening across the country for years. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, where they, you know, a group, an organization, a corporation can say, oh, we want to host a, you know, um, a lunch, appreciation lunch for you. We want to have a banquet that acknowledges, you know, one of the, you know, 
leading, you know, caseworkers that have gone above and beyond. So that recognition has been happening, yeah. but I believe that this year with the, the launching of the National uh, Appreciation Week that's in October, it's really going to compile those stories and share yeah. them on, on um, a large scale and help with inspiring creativity of how we show support. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were just talking, you know, yesterday and I was like, what's equivalent to, you know, like the old school Apple for a teacher. And you just <laughs> replied a Starbucks card. And I was like, yeah, that's it. It really it is. Starbucks, <laughs> card. You know, but like sometimes people want to do something, but they need ideas like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. What, what, what was the most successful and so you know the the um, national foster care coalition that i'm a part of um they they were able to identify a couple of organizations that have taken a lead that have compiled the website and gave some ideas that you know created a video and a toolkit um for organizations to start doing this well um, and, and just giving them, you know, tips and tricks on how to engage the local CPS office or, mm-hmm. um, child protective services office and how to just really dive in and, and appreciate them for all the work that they do. So, um, we're, we're getting the word out because I believe that every office in all 254 counties across the state of Texas needs to have an organization or church or an entity committed to appreciating those staff. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we have to probably prioritize and, and be strategic about how we go about that if we um, want to do it well in October. But I believe there's, including satellite offices and all the different kind of divisions that are within the Department of Family and Protective Services, there's 40 offices just in um, the DFW area or the surrounding mm-hmm. area. So we could we could probably cover a big percentage of the total state. I would imagine you may even know exactly what percentage we cover, but you know me, I'm, I'm sort of ambitious in terms of what Mm -hmm. I want to see happen because I just know so many people do need some kind of emotional support. And really this is an opportunity for everyone to do something because it's not um, necessarily a long-term ask that we're making for this week. And it's not even, you're not interacting directly with vulnerable children or even vulnerable families. You're interacting with the staff who is interacting with them. So to me, it's a great entry point for people where they can, they can sort of get to know this space a little bit, um, in a, um, a way that's, you know, easier than just jumping in the deep end. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing what we can get done. And we are going to provide all those opportunities, ways that the general public can get involved with this. Uh, It'll be accessible through our website. So by the time we post this recording, by the time anybody hears it, there will be ways on our website that they can get involved. But we've talked about, you know, the hospitality week supporting the frontline workers. We've talked about emotional support training to kind of, um, help provide that support so that families don't get on that downward spiral. Um, We've talked about the role of even teachers, healthcare, law enforcement, nonprofits, their role of seeing the families and getting them support. One thing I do want to mention related to that is there's a a platform called HelpFinder, helpfinder.org, 
where any of those frontline and even those of us providing emotional support to one another, we can find resources that um, maybe we can't provide ourselves. So whatever that might be, there are nonprofit, church-based and government programs on Help Finder. So everything about your community. So I think that's a tool for those, those frontline workers. Um, you now, you, I know you know the depth um, and the quality, the high quality of organizations in this space in DFW, but you really had to choose one if you weren't going to kind of freelance and just, you know, as a volunteer, um, provide support to all of them. So what can you tell us about where you landed? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm like, I do believe sometimes, you know, it's hard to, to accept, but I do believe that you know, my steps are ordered by the Lord. I'm like, sometimes I'm asking the Lord, was that step really necessary? <laughs> but um, if it led me to where I am today, which I'm so excited about uh, my new role as a, I, I do development, but primarily um, just ministry initiatives. Like mm-hmm. I get the, I get to do what I would do for free. I'm like, and they said, well, we can, we can arrange that. I'm like, no, 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 no. But I'm like, I love this work so much that I, that I just can't believe that someone would, would pay me to do this. Mm -hmm. um, But I'm with Buckner now and um, Buckner International is a organization that's been around for 140 years. Um, It's just, it's such a rich history um, and they serve people from beginning to end of life. Wow. Um, they have something for everyone across the lifespan um, in, as far as services and support. Um, so they just really understand what it means to flourish and what it means to live well hmm. um, and what it means to be vulnerable and how to, to get someone from that place of vulnerability in an empowering and respectful way mm-hmm. to a place of thriving. And it's like some things that I have to say in other spaces, it's like, it's already being said there. Mm. Just their culture, they understand culturally um, adepts and um, have the, the diverse concepts and understanding. They just have weathered the test of time in this space. Um, whereas the life of most nonprofits and organizations are very short-lived entities mm. in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, Buckner International, just, I have the, the privilege of, of they, and they do a lot of it, right? They do prevention and family preservation. They do foster care and adoption. They do international missions and ministry and orphan care support um, abroad. And so it's not that they segment, it's that they've learned how to, to build out every aspect of under one umbrella mm-hmm. of preserving and creating you know hope centers and resources on both ends of the spectrum that we were talking about earlier uh-huh. supporting the, the child until the family gets healthy they've done both sides of uh, they are doing both sides of the work yeah. and it's rare it is very rare to see organizations do both sides of the work and do it well yeah so I'm super proud uh to be um a member and, and, and contributor to this organization and, and look to grow and, and continue to learn with them. Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to be calling because uh, we 
work to do. And I just know that they do it with the quality of care and support and service to families that allows a family to take their own, they're the, they're the lead in their own story. Mm-hmm. And some organizations can dis, discard families because of their past mistakes and their past history and say, no, I know what's best for you and I'm making the decision. And that doesn't necessarily always help a family get from the place of vulnerability to, to strength. And so, so I'm super proud, super proud to be working with Buckner International. Wow. Well, we will have that um, opportunity on our website as well. As Unite, as you know, we sort of sit in a place of not being biased. I I have to admit, I'm a little biased with you there. Um, and I already had great friends there, but we have really, we have a lot of stellar organizations that people can serve alongside. And we want to make sure that everybody kind of gets equal exposure. Um, and so we'll put lots of different opportunities out on our website for people to get involved with other organizations. But I agree. I can't say enough good things about Buckner and I think DFW is blessed to have them. So before we close, because I know eventually this has to come to an end, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the different ways that professionals can enter this space, whether it's through the government or through one of these agencies that interface with children and families or the government. Um, With what you have seen, I know you feel personally called to this, but would you encourage a young person or somebody that's kind of at a crossroads in their career? Would you encourage someone to enter the space professionally or would you encourage them to run away? (laughs) well the today I'm feeling pretty optimistic so um (laughs) catch me on one of those tough days this is a tough job um but I do think that if you can people mastering is a skill that is translatable to any type of success in my I mean from the very beginning my first role um, as I was, I started out a little bit different in a fast track, but um, as a regional manager there in Austin, Texas, going into churches, telling, you know, my story um, and encouraging people to get involved. It was people, people are the, the cornerstone of this work. And if you love people and if you have a desire to learn um, about how individuals go from good to great, how they, how they, you know, are able to be resilient and to uh, move past major life traumas or setbacks. If you believe in the underdog, like Mm -hmm. all of these types of things, man, this is the type of work that will, you will wake up getting excited to do every day. As long as you have the support you need, right? Yes. With the support, with the support (laughs) you need. Because man, you got to believe that people people can change for the good. Yeah. If you if you've got a fixed mindset that once once like that always like that, then perhaps maybe accounting or being an actuary is better. But <laughs> but 
if you if you really believe that with the with the right recipe of support and encouragement and um, just just the environment that can really change the trajectory of someone's life and you want to be a part of that change. Yeah. You you won't get you won't get faster um on the job experience mm. than in this in this line of work. Wow. Not mm. to say anything bad about accountants and actuaries because I think all of us have a role to play in contributing to the greater good and um, we're not elevating professional kind of frontline work above, you know, business and things like that, because we need, we need people in business and we need accountants in particular to keep businesses accountable, um, Absolutely. And them steward their funds. So nothing against them, but I think you're right. We all have to figure out how God made us and what right. profession we're well suited for and, um, I think sometimes that requires stepping into spaces where we're uncomfortable. I'd love to encourage everybody to, to step into something that stretches them a bit and kind of see how far that takes you and yeah. test the limits of how God made you. Because sometimes I think we, we eliminate options way too early before we've even tried things. And it's been super fun to see just so many people here in DFW stepping into that and really finding the limits. I don't think most of us have found our limits, but kind of stretching those limits of what we can do with what God has, how God has shaped us. So thank you for doing that yourself, encouraging other people to do that. And I'm glad we caught you on a hopeful day. Um, <laughs> You're always very positive, but um, I'm glad you're excited to kind of share that hope with everybody today. One more thing is I'd love for you to, you don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to, but um, you can imagine yourself closing your eyes and telling us if you were to imagine the community when all the pieces are working the way they should, uh, can you paint that picture for us real quick? Yeah, I think, oh gosh, that is um, a utopia. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, let's, let's say, you know, I don't believe we are going to get this perfect uh -huh. before Jesus comes back. But if it was perfect, what, what does perfect look like? Not no more sin. So right. there are still, you know, there's still a need for protection, but how does it what does it look like for everything to be working like it's supposed to? Oh, I, I'm going to use the words of Bishop Dixon. I think that in in an imperfect world, the the best possible solution would be for someone who's hurting to be seen, to be known, to be heard, and to be loved. Mm. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's profound. Well, like I said, I, I wish our time didn't have to end today, but I know we need to get on to other things. We need to get onto that mission God has put us on. Um, but it's an honor to be on that journey with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you're, you've been in a space this whole time where we can just lock arms and figure out how to help each other do our jobs. It's, it's just one of the great joys of my life. So 
thank you for being who you are and just um, stepping out in faith so many times that you have and um, just being such an encouragement to the people around you. Uh, and I really am excited about sharing you with the rest of the world. Thank you for having me. You know, I love you. Mwah. Mwah. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, thanks to everybody out there listening. I hope this was encouraging. And um, you can go to our website to find ways that you can get involved. We want every community at DFW to have a group of Christians taking responsibility for its well-being. Visit our public-facing website at unite-dfw.org where you can find training, serving, and giving opportunities near you. If you're a church or organization leader, visit us at unitethechurch.org to sign up for our e-news, find upcoming events, or to join a network of peers. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Until next time, have a blessed day.